0: You're listening to another AmbitiousEntrepreneurNetwork.com podcast, the voice for entrepreneurs and small business. Now onto the show.
1: Welcome to Business Women Australia podcast, the podcast for ambitious women who are serious about business success and leadership development, keen to increase their knowledge and skills.
0: Welcome to another episode of Business Women Australia podcast. This is episode 14, and I'm your host, Anne-Marie Cross, the podcasting queen. In a recent article, Being the Boss in Brussels, Boston and Beijing, published on Harvard Business Review, author Erin Meyer begins by saying cultural differences in leadership styles often create unexpected misunderstandings. Now, as business leaders, we know that any misunderstanding within our team is going to impact morale and ultimately performance negatively. Joining me on today's show to speak more on the topic of cross-cultural intelligence is Jessica Schubert. She's an accredited executive coach and leadership facilitator with individual professionals and corporate teams is who she works with. And her passion is to help people increase awareness of who they are as a person and as a leader. She equips them with tools to help them make sustainable behavioral change, to be happier individuals with a greater sense of emotional and social intelligence and to impact people around them far more positively and ultimately she supports them to become and be better leaders now over the last 20 years Jessica has led large cross-cultural teams in Europe in Asia and in the corporate world and she draws on her expertise in leading and growing organizations predominantly in the services industry but most and foremost from working with people across diverse backgrounds and cultures now on today's show Jessica is going to talk about demystifying cross-cultural intelligence, why is CQ so important working in a globalised and connected world, how CQ helps you to become a better leader, as well as leading and working with people from different cultures. If that's you, here are some important hacks on overcoming barriers and collaborating in international environments. This is something that she's done a lot herself too. So welcome to the show, Jessica.
1: Thank you very much for having me, Anne-Marie.
0: Before we go into demystifying cross-cultural intelligence, I'd love for you just to give a bit of an overview on on what cross-cultural intelligence is.
1: Yeah, the easiest way to define it, I would say, is cross-cultural intelligence, so CQ, it's the ability to work in a multicultural environment Mm -hmm. that may or may not be located in your home country.
0: And, you know, the um, opening of today's show, I I mentioned the article and we'll certainly put a link to where people can read more. It really depicts just the differences and what happens when we don't understand other cultures and it certainly does and can derail our our team. So talk about some of the things that people may misunderstand uh, when it comes to cross-cultural intelligence and, of course, why you believe that it's so important important working in a globalised and connected world.
1: Yeah, so I think... That cross-cultural intelligence is sort of a big word that's been thrown around, um, you know, in on social media and in conversations. Mm-hmm. And we always think, um, it only affects people who, you know, fly around the world and, and visit different countries and fly business class. Whereas we all work in a globalized and connected world, um, even in our own home country, because we expand our business across borders all the time with, you know, online capabilities we have and the digital landscapes we can use. Mm-hmm. We source from different countries and we work with people from different backgrounds in our home countries as well. Look at Australia, uh, you know, how colourful and diverse the backgrounds of people are we work with day to day and mm-hmm. we meet uh, because of the landscape and, you know, and, and the immigration and the type of people that live in Australia. Yes. Um. So we, we're really dealing with and we're working in a global workplace, mm-hmm. but you know, despite the romantic visions of jetting from country to country, the fact is that most people are domestic internationals, which really means that their career is based in the home country. Mm-hmm. And the way we work internationally is to use technology to customize products and services for clients worldwide, to communicate with suppliers from abroad, and also, you know, we co- collaborate on projects with colleagues in overseas offices. Mm. So we are day-to-day immersed in
0: foreign cultures without ever stepping a foot overseas. Yes, absolutely. And you know, you bring such a wealth of, of knowledge and experience through working across uh, different cultures, you speak many backgrounds, one of the things I'm sure you've seen is is that people often they just misinterpret, don't they? Or they don't recognise that just even their communication style and the way that they deal with people could very much impact negatively on another culture. And that kind of thing, if we don't realise that, we can't be influential, we can't really empower our team because there's just some underlying thing differences that, uh, that, of course, you're going to talk about today. Have you found that in, in, in your work across different countries and nations? And and cultures?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, And that's why. cross-cultural uh, intelligence is such an amazing tool to help you to become a better leader because mm-hmm. um, CQ is, is ungoogable but is also a transferable skill. And I'll give you an example um, and I'll tell you a story about an amazing lady called Celeste Fay who I met in Hong Kong in 2016. And she told me her own story of when she was doing a bachelor's degree in international business in the US. US. Mm-hmm. And she had the opportunity to take part in a work experience in an organization in Oman. So Celeste was really Um, aware of that there are cultural differences in an Arab country and she did some research um, and she is also you know, was a very young and extroverted, um, young woman. And, uh, so she bonded really well with people as she arrived in the country and she had no worry. She loved the activities, um, and working in, um, a cross culture um, environment. Um, and she, she also was invited, um, to lunches and after work activities by male Oman colleagues. Mm-hmm. And she took it up because, you know, she integrated well and she blended in. And then all of a sudden she realized that she was being ignored by the Oman women, um, at her workplace and she was actually uninvited to meetings, uninvited to a wedding where all the other expats, international students and all the local Oman uh, colleagues would go to and she really was frustrated and it was very detrimental to finishing her project which Mm -hmm. she needed to finish for her studies. Um, So she was frustrated and she thought it was something about um, her work and the quality of her work and she was very lucky because one of her Oman colleagues, female colleagues said it's unacceptable Celeste to join uh, male only gatherings. Yeah. She, oh. she wasn't even aware that there was no other females, you know, it's so egalitarian in the U S to, mm-hmm. you know, and, and free to do this in the U S. So it all turned around for her and she apologized. She was very aware from that moment on. And, you know, she was back invited into, um, you know, the, the, the meetings. But what she really learned was that she said to me, Jess, you can't just walk into a room and say, I'm culturally sensitive. You mm-hmm. have to experience, this. you have
0: to, you have to make mistakes. Uh, and it's not Google no and sometimes it is just finding out by asking some of the people who have worked or understand very much the local cultures and the expectations of what what is acceptable and what's not in various countries yes
1: Absolutely, absolutely. It's it's about the real experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm aware of that not everyone can travel. Um, but it's also so much, you know, about talking to different cultures and backgrounds with the people you deal with here. Yes. And in the way the skill is transferable shows how Celeste then later on after she finished her bachelor's degree, moved to Kuala Lumpur. Again, a very, very diverse um, country with different backgrounds and cultures. And she was very quickly promoted to general manager in this country in this company, leading a large cross-cultural team. And she said to me, just, I wouldn't have been able to do this if it wasn't for the experience I had in Oman, because although it's such a different country, um, the skills I learned from, you know, to blend in, understand that there are differences, to accept the nuances, but also the deep ingrained values by mm. asking and watching and not instilling my own uh, uh, values and culture uh, at that workplace and into the country, that's really helped me and accelerated me way way faster into being a better leader and I was the first one to be promoted in that company so you can see how how transferable this skill is and how you can use it throughout your whole career
0: yes absolutely as you were sharing that incredible story I I recall a situation that I heard where businessmen went across to China and they didn't realize that the color green had some you know significant meaning and their logo and their brand colors were green they took a lot of their you know promotional material over there and one of the things was a green hat and the CEO of the the Australian company actually handed a green hat to one of the gentlemen in China and he just looked really horrified and he didn't learn till later that doing that meant I'm having an affair with your wife or something like that and it was like my goodness had I known that he must have thought I would never have done that in a million years these are just things that we can find out by asking and and seeing you know what are the things that we need to know about those cultures.
1: Absolutely. And we need to be able to accept them and take them on Mm. and take our own, um, you know, beliefs back. We don't have to lose our values, but we're going to have to be uh, able to go into an experience and a culture with open eyes, do as much research as we can. People forgive you. Um, to make mistakes like, you of know course. I lived in Hong Kong and in Japan and I made ma- many many small mistakes but you apologize and um, you know everyone is going to be able you know happy to help you but when you make big mistakes um, you know that it's really difficult to turn around as a leader and a company so yeah do your homework travel read um, and and be open watch and listen
0: yes and you know what you said to there is so true it doesn't mean that you need to completely walk away from your values but it's respect isn't it it's respect for other people and what their values are and 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 so forth and i think when you lead with that respect and understanding uh then that will certainly open doors let's talk about leading and working with people from different cultures you've you've learned some hacks on overcoming barriers and collaborating in international environments too i'd love you to share some
1: yeah absolutely um, what I really um, sort of learned very quickly that, um, and I'll go into this um, a little bit later on, is that there are different um, types of, you know, leadership. There's cultural differences in leadership, mm. but there's also the really ingrained values in culture. Um, when you look, you know, towards, you know, um, authority, for example, in cultures like um, in Nigeria compared to, you know, Denmark, um, they're very different ways of, um, you know, deferring to authority. Where in Denmark you call your teacher by the first name and in Nigeria, um, you know, you bow down, you know, to the floor. So mm. for me really uh, some of the experience I had in, you know, in uh, Southeast Asia and in uh, North Asia and Japan was to be able to uh, understand these nuances, but also re- really deep ingrained uh, values and behaviours very quickly. Um, and on a second layer, also understand um, dif- cultural difference in leadership styles. Um, and the the reason why we have to do this and why, you know, this skill is so important is not only uh, because it helps us to become, you know, better leaders, when you look at um, – you know, some of the research that's been done and it comes out of the US, but it's very relevant um, here in Australia as well, um, is that uh, it's actually required by hiring managers. Yeah, so cultural ex- Experience and intelligence. It's not just about the stories I tell in my experience, and mm. you know the fluffy word out there in, um, you know, in social media. Um, the Rand Corporation released a report because they've done some research in the US and they've asked hiring managers to rank uh, 19 skills or qualifications in terms of importance. And there's some, you know, skills like you know interpersonal relationship skills and ambiguity, tolerance, adaptability. They're ranked really highly. Um, for hiring managers, um, you know, in, in, um, in hiring people. Mm-hmm. Um, cross-cultural competence is ranked 5 out of 19. Wow. Yeah. And that's ranked really high. And I was really intrigued when I read that report and I was just about to embark on a presentation to a bunch of MBA directors in China. And mm. I was really intrigued. So I asked a lot of leaders in Hong Kong when I was living there in 2015-16. And I asked them, what are your... Um, you know, what are your um, uh, um, uh, rankings in terms of how do you rank cross-culture competence? And I actually interviewed a friend of mine, Mr. Lee Lowe, who was then head of corporate sales at Bloomberg, so worked a- across a large scale of cross-cultural people and he said actually just it's really really high next to being able to do the job and being the right person um, cross-cultural intelligence is high for me and it's the real life experience Mm -hmm. yeah and that's both for experienced people and graduates I want I want to have seen people getting getting out of their comfort zone and have the real life experience and I see that in some of the work I do with a company called international study programs from Mm -hmm. um, Europe um, where we um, take executive MBA MBA students abroad to learn about international business and culture competency firsthand. So we take them out of their comfort zone, we take them out of their lecture room and reintroduce them and get them in front of business leaders. And the feedback and the results is amazing. And they always say this is the highlight of my whole degree that I've been able to travel to China, to South America, to Europe, so I could learn what I learn in the connect what I learned in the lecture room with what real life is and the culture immersion. No one can take that uh, from you, and the learning is really deep. Oh, so it's about the real yeah. experience, Anne Marie.
0: Yeah, I can imagine there is such. Well, there is such a difference between reading something in a book, and as you said, this is ungoogable. So obviously, a huge opportunity for someone to really start to put some thought, some real thought leadership around this. When you, when we're talking about some of the cross-cultural intelligences and the specific nuances, over the years, and you know, over the last twenty years, you've now been overseeing cross-cultural teams across Europe and Asia. Have you seen changes, I know that might sound like a really stupid question, but why I'm saying that is that uh, we need to keep an awareness because just like some cultures change and and shift, some of, of the expectations and nuances may also shift with different the times and so forth. Have you found that to be true?
1: Um, look, I would say I've seen um, smaller changes yeah. um, and we always have to be aware of those changes yes. but what I've probably predominantly learned is that the deeply ingrained uh, values beliefs and cultural sure. uh, you know behaviors we show yes. um, don't change and mm-hmm. um, of course, some of the countries change, and it's not so much in my home country, Germany, it wouldn't have changed so much, uh, probably opened up a bit more, become, has become probably a little bit more egalitarian, but, um, you know, the emerging countries certainly change. So, if you work with countries or people from countries like Indonesia, um, China, or India, you will see that there is a change. mm And we have to adapt to those. But I find those changes more in uh, leadership styles um, than in, you know, uh, cultural behaviors that are are really ingrained. Yeah. And um, I'm glad that you asked the question about, you know, the changes because I've come across this article that you just talked about that – has been uh, written by Erin Meyer uh, for the uh, Harvard Business Review, Mm -hmm. Being the Boss in Brussels, Boston, and Beijing. Let me just um, very briefly elaborate on what her findings are. Um, So she's talking about cultural difference in leadership styles, and she really talks about the two dimensions of leadership culture. Mm -hmm. One dimension is authority, and the other dimension is decision-making. So, authority really is about, um, what we expect from our leaders. How do we look to our leaders? Mm-hmm. And in terms of authority, when you look at all the different countries that, you know, are on, on this planet, um, it's either hierarchical or egalitarian, yes. of course, with nuances. Yeah. Mm. So, hierarchical would be where, um, you know the the leader is is the director not the facilitator where we have a lot of structure it's very formal uh, we address our leaders and and managers formally uh we defer to the person in charge um and you know in, in terms of you know when you look at office space the boss would sit in a specific office so it's very hierarchical and some of the countries that are quite hierarchical are for example um germany and Japan. Mm-hmm. On the other hand we have a com- uh, countries that are very egalitarian or egalitarian where you know it's enforced to and okay to call your boss by the first name um you know but you speak up the leader's actually a facilitator not a director there's a lot of empowerment open door policy 360 degree, degree feedback you know the managing by walking around etc cetera, etc. Cetera. And egalitarian countries are um, a lot of the country, Anglo-Saxon countries, like the U.S. is very egalitarian, and Australia even more so. Australia is a very egalitarian country, much more uh, than uh, even the U.S., Canada, or the U.K., Yes. So when you when you then look at the um, the uh, second dimension, that's the decision making, and that's the mistake we make at leaders that we forget about that. So we look at hierarchical, not hierarchical, and this is how we go and you know approach our meetings or we approach dealing with people. But in terms of decision making, again we we put it sort of in in, in two dimensions here, and it's either cons- consensual, you know, where a lot of people are involved, uh, we, we include debate, um, you know, the uh, people are asked to, um, you know, bring in their ideas. You go back and forth. So it's taking a longer time. Mm-hmm. But then the decision is made up by consent and the decision is firm. A top-down decision-making culture um, would be much quicker, flexible um You know, the decision making power is vested in the individual, which is usually the boss. So people look to the boss to make a decision. And the sort of thinking is, you know, any decision is better than none. So it's all about quick and flexible, but it's also subject subject to change as new information arises. Yeah. Mm -hmm, So you have mm -hmm. countries that are consensual, countries that are top down culture. Now, the mistake we make that we, think that hierarchical cultures must be top down as well and that's not right yeah and that's an oh. assumption that's wrong and erin sheds shed such a beautiful light on that hmm. um when you look for example at country, countries like germany and japan who are you know really hierarchical and japan so much more than um, germany they're also very consensual in decision making whereas you have the us and australia who are very egalitarian countries, but they actually um, exercise top-down culture most of the time. Mm-hmm, yeah, where mm-hmm. there's a, a quick decision to be made, but it's also okay to change the goalpost. Yes, and and we and we mix this up, and I found this really interesting because I had to you know learn this the hard way when I lived in in China, <laughs> you know, in China and Indonesia, and and. Uh, um and uh Saudi Arabia and India and Russia they're all are uh, very hierarchical but also top down countries yes, yeah yes. and when we look at the different um when we look at the different dimensions It's very interesting because it gives us a lot of insight, what people expect from us, what they react to and what they expect from, you know, outcomes. How do they work? So is it hierarchical or egalitarian? Is there a boss or are we, you know, are we, you know, uh, doing everything together here in in a a warm team environment? (laughs) Um, And how we make decisions. And Mm -hmm. that was very, very insightful for me as a leader.
0: Yeah. And so when you did find that you were in an environment that was quite dissimilar to what you're used to, just, I mean, obviously everybody's going to, to find that they adapt. Uh, some people adapt quicker, some some takes a little, little longer. Did you find that once you observed what was going on it, or did you um, ask questions or a bit of both to really be able to understand the expectations of that particular company? in that environment in that country? So I
1: wish I would have had the knowledge that yes, I Yes, hindsight is such a wonderful the thing. Especially no, the <laughs> knowledge about, uh, you know, the cultural difference in leadership styles yeah. um, because it would have told me when I first moved to Hong Kong in 2010 and I had a you know large team of um, Hong Kong Chinese and mainland Chinese um you know colleagues or you know team and uh, team members in my team but I also had uh, people from the UK and the US Yes. and I learned by um, making mistakes Um. Mm-hmm. so I, my first meeting was carte blanche Um. Uh, you know everyone you know give me the ideas uh, we had you know we had a whiteboard ready to brainstorm yeah, yeah. so yeah. of course I got you know a lot of great ideas and participation from you know my colleagues in the US and a little bit from the UK of course and none from my Chinese colleagues. The problem is you work with all of them. They have very great ideas, but they are coming from a hierarchical, you know, background. Mm. They're not used to sitting, you know, in a meeting and being asked, you know, off guard what their ideas are. They need Mm. much more structure. Mm. Um, And I had to, you know, I learned it, you know, the hard way. So I asked after a while, I'm like, this is clearly not working. What do I need to do? And my Chinese colleagues told me if I had known that, you know, there's the difference between the way they make decisions but also the way they work. So there's, you know, work style, um, you know, versus uh, decision-making. I would have known. And, you know, one of the things you can do, so if you are Australian and you work in an Australian company but you deal with people from, you know, um, other backgrounds and, you know, I'm talking, you know, either Germany or Japan or, you know, uh, China, et cetera, um, what you can do is actually prepare much better yeah Mm -hmm. so the the biggest challenge I think people have is meetings because that's when you collaborate and you talk to people and uh, what I started doing and what really works is prepare the meeting really well uh, and make sure that you lay down the expectations um, and the structure and the wanted outcome and you agree with everyone on that Mm -hmm. yeah so that's what Mm -hmm. I did you know uh, tomorrow we're going to meet and here are five things I want you to think about and this is the possible outcome we all want to work towards and we Agree on if we need, um, you know, if we uh, need deadlines or, you know, is an agreement 100% needed, etc. Yes. What's then important is then when you go into the meeting that you call on everyone in the meeting, mm. yeah, you know, not just on the people who usually talk a lot, um, but that you call on everyone because everyone's opinions are really, really important. Mm. So when you start doing that, what you do is that you know you recognise your own culture but you also look at your own own culture from the distance because you're inviting other cultures in and you accept that their decision-making process uh, and their work style is different yeah yeah? and that's how you're able to hear everyone out you get much more diverse ideas but you need to set that structure whatever that is and that is different in every scenario mm. so you really have to look into who who am I dealing with and what are their cultural backgrounds but also you know what are their work styles
0: yeah and I would imagine that doing that then gave the opportunity for some of the other cultures that perhaps would have set sit, sit back and not contributed unless of course they were asked and they knew all right now it's my turn to contribute to have had the opportunity to prepare and of course feel comfortable in, in sharing that Did you find yeah, absolutely? Yeah,
1: absolutely. So it's all a bit about being transparent, being fair giving enough structure so everyone can speak up, Um, you know, be clear, have a consent uh, call on everybody, but make sure that's all agreed beforehand because otherwise, you know, people from a, uh, you know, hierarchical top-down culture will just see you as, you know, arrogant and incompetent because you don't come prepared. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And if you put too much structure in, you know, uh, colleagues and, you know, clients from the US will think, oh, my God, what's the back and forth here? So (laughs) it's about being transparent that Mm -hmm. we're all different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and uh, that we by uh, agreeing on how we're going forward and what what to expect from each other, that cultural understanding is really important. And I think that's what it is. If you recognise your own culture, what your own culture looks like from the distance, you can decide what style to use depending on the situation. Mm -hmm. You know, is it cultural or is it personal? Mm -hmm. And I believe that CQ cross cultural competence is really needed from leaders to be cultural flexi- culturally flexible. Cultural flexibility um, is what differentiates you uh, from being a great leader um, to be able to deal with people from all backgrounds. And that doesn't only mean that you zip around in business class from country to country mm-hmm. and continent to continent, but dealing with people inside your organization and managing and leading across the border.
0: Oh, absolutely. Look, I know we've only just touched the surface today on what I think is an incredible topic. Jessica, if people are wanting to find out more, because obviously this is an area that um, you're very familiar with having lived and experienced it yourself and can certainly support them, just give us a, a snapshot of the kind of work that you do and of course how people can reach out and connect with you.
1: Yeah, so people can obviously uh, reach out um, through, you know, the information that um, you you've seen the podcast. So right. give me a call or email me mm-hmm. on Jessica Jessica Schubert Consulting.com And I work with individuals and teams alike. And I think some of the things that people can do is um, you know one-on-one coaching sessions um, to get more insight, you know, and training in uh, you know cultural flexibility, uh, but also workshops on, you know, um, cross cultural competence because there's a lot of education we can do. There's a lot of, you know, shining the light on what it means um, and what we can do. Um, and of obviously helping companies to change their culture internally as well. Um, So, you know, professional uh, leadership workshops, um, as well as, you know, some consulting how you can open up uh, you know, your culture, uh, you know, to be able to understand those differences much more. So um, yeah, I design and facilitate those workshops uh, both in, you know, the one-on-one group sessions and virtually um, over over the computer as well.
0: Yeah, fantastic. And as you said, and it is so true that there are opportunities now where we are frequently communicating, connecting, engaging with people from different cultures, and we know may not necessarily be traveling, it may Maybe through the the technology that we connect with, and the last thing that we want to do is not to have any understanding, because you know when when anybody and I you know put the the. To think of ourselves if someone's relating to us in a way that we feel respected that we feel what our our thoughts and and our contributions are validated and, and and worthwhile and valuable then that gets the best out of us and likewise that gets the best out of our team so having an appreciation and understanding and being able to lead and work with people from different cultures I think is so important because technology in the world I mean we're dealing with all sorts of cultures every single day so uh, thank you for sharing some insights into this uh, fascinating topic Jessica
1: you're very welcome Anne-Marie thank you very much for having me
0: And as I said, we've only just touched the surface on this, the show, and please reach out to Jessica, all her contact details are on the show notes. Now, if you want to find out more about Business Women Australia and how you, of course, can become part of this dynamic collective of leaders and learners, so you can gain the knowledge and the skills that'll enable you to succeed in business, all you need to do is go to businesswomenaustralia.com.au, that's businesswomenaustralia.com.au. Hi, this is Anne-Marie. Have you enjoyed listening to this podcast interview and have often thought how awesome it would be to have your very own podcast so you can change the world with your message while become known as an influential voice in your industry but you just don't know where to start? I've created a special gift just for you. It's my free mini training, Podcasting with Purpose, where I share the key things you need to know to stand out, be heard and influence your audience from your very first podcast. I'm also giving you access to my podcast production workflow checklist where I share what I do step-by-step to create a podcast. I'm also going to give you access to a checklist of no-cost and low-cost tools to get you started. To access my podcasting with purpose mini training, go to www.annemariecross.com forward slash mini training. That's anmariecross.com forward slash mini training.